for one of the most beautiful and playable custom acoustics on the planet, look no further than Ed Rice at Toeir Guitars. Ed is a true artist, transforming exotic woods into magnificent, sweet-sounding instruments. Go to toeirguitars.us, that's T-O-I-R-G-U-I-T-A-R-S.us, and contact Ed today. Hey everybody, Brad and I want to say thank you for listening and thank you for the support. Please continue to listen and share this podcast on all platforms that you can. And if you'd like to support us monthly, we're set up now where you can go to anchor.fm slash Top Hill Recording. Hit the support button, 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99 per month. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Now back to the podcast. Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 57. What's going on, Neil? What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm having a good day, man. Went golfing today. Beautiful. What, 65 degrees? It was awesome out there. And Probably a good day to be a postman, too. It was, but it's even a better day to be in this studio because I've already one drink in of your awesome Eagle Rare, and I'm ready to go, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Broke out the Eagle Rare tonight. Man, it's starting to get hard to find. I know. It's getting, uh, it's becoming its name. Everybody keeps it behind the uh, counter. And, you know, if you're lucky to find a bottle, you better get it while you can. Better break out the wallet. Man, I'm excited about our, our guest tonight. I've, uh, I started listening to this guy and his buddies. Uh, I think it's been like 20 or 25 years now. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. I know. But we have Todd Whitener with hey. Bliss Creek with us. What's up, Todd? Gentlemen, how are you this evening? I, I know you're doing well because it's been a beautiful day, like you said out there. It's just been perfect down here as well. Yeah. So you're in Nashville now, is that correct? I am. Yep. I've, I've been here almost 10 years, I guess now. Oh, phenomenal. But originally from? I'm from the Ville. I'm from oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. That's where my roots are, man. Yeah. I was just thinking today, man, I know we'll get a... We'll get into kind of talking about your journey to where you are now, but it is hard to believe the days of the new was, I mean, well, that's like mid to late 90s, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. So, yeah, that album came out in 1997, huh. and we began the work on it really in 90, I guess, 95 is when the um, the writing began and then followed by pre-production and all that. It is weird saying that because it's sure, I don't feel that old, but that <laughs> sounds you, like a long time ago. <laughs> well, and, you know, and you, but you were uh, almost a child at that point when you wrote, or you all were involved in that record as well. Man, that's that's true. I was a senior in high school. I think most <laughs> of us were when oh all that gosh. really broke open, man. It was crazy. That's uh, crazy. I, I'll never forget my uh, uh, algebra teacher walking up to me. There was a write-up in the local paper um, and my algebra teacher walking up to me. I don't think she'd said a, a word to me the whole year. And then the, she saw that article and all of a sudden uh, I started getting better grades in uh, algebra. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into that too much, let's go back. We always start with a, the same question, Todd. And why don't you, uh, for our listeners, go back to childhood and talk about your first memories of music and when you realized music was going to be an important part of your life. You know, the one of the most impactful things was growing up, um, it's almost the story that you'd hear from your grandparents. Uh, you know, if you have a uh, family that has roots out that grew up in the country or something, but, but we lived in the city, but we would have family over, um, especially my stepdad's family were very musical um, I come from a, my bloodline comes from a musical family as well, but, but his, uh, his family always, you know, they were rooted in country music and, uh, everybody 
kind of had their instrument. There was a drummer in the family, a bass guitar player, a guitar player, lots of everybody sang. And uh, they'd have gatherings, especially on uh, over the holidays, and uh, have everybody and cram them in the living room and uh, just full out, just, you know, hours of, I was too young to drink at the time, but hours of drinking and uh, having fun and playing these country classics. And I'd always get behind the drum kit, even though I turned out to be a guitar player. Uh, I'd, I'd get behind the drum kit and play. And it was just like, you know, for that moment and uh, whenever that would happen, I just felt on top of the world. And that, that was a moment that it really registered to me that, man, this like moves me in a way that nothing else does in my, in my young life at that time. And, uh, I ended up fast forward a couple years. We always had a piano in the house. So I, you know, I noodled around and hacked it up on the piano a little bit, but, uh, a, a buddy in school, I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade. He had a guitar, uh, only kid I knew who had a guitar at that point, uh, who was my age anyway. And, uh, he had learned Metallica sanitarium, <laughs> and that song is actually, it's a pretty simple song to, it's a pretty, at least the main riff in it is you can pick it up pretty quick if you're mm -hmm. a beginner. And, uh, I remember he showed me how to play that in, uh, that the first day I picked up a guitar and I was sold, man. I was like this, I got to <laughs> do this the rest of my life. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where it all started, man. The next, next birthday that came around, I took, I think I had like 65 bucks that I'd, uh, accumulated from different birthday checks and, you know, the $5 bill here and there and the, in the birthday cards. And, mm -hmm. uh, I, I took it down to, at that time as a pawn shop off Dixie highway. Went down there. I found me a nice old cheap Dixon guitar for exactly sixty five bucks and made it happen. <laughs> Man, how many guitar players do you think Metallica has spawned from their riffs? Because I mean, seriously, everybody that picks up a guitar goes, "How do you play a band on and on down?" Everybody, and once you yeah. can play that, you get excited. Metallica has spawned so many guitar players. Man, you are not you are not lying. I mean, that, it's probably unfathomable how many people play guitar because of Metallica now, man. I yep. mean, it makes you wonder if they sit around and have ever pondered that. I, I guess they probably have, but wow. I mean, I bet you could probably ask, at least in the rock world, probably at least 50% of guitar players, Metallica had something to do with them, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And you know, anybody, even your friends or family members that have no idea how to play an instrument that know five or six notes on a guitar, if they pick it up, they're either going to play like uh, Inner Sandman or they're going to be, they're going to play a Metallica rip. I guarantee it. Yeah. They're, they're genius in their simplicity in that, in that part of, of grabbing you instantly and being able to really, I do believe, man, they've spawned a ton of guitar oh, players. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, it sounds like Todd's family knew how to get the kids involved if they let the kids get behind the drum kit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it was a way to keep us out of trouble, really. They could keep their eye on us and, they, you know, get us involved a little bit. And I'm sure there was a point where they'd, they'd had enough of their bourbon and whiskey and whatnot that they were just like, who cares anymore? Get them in here and <laughs> keep them from running off and causing trouble. Yeah, man. But, you know, the, the thing that you even mentioned that kind of comes from that is when if you're a child like i was i was the same situation i was five years old running around with a tiny guitar sitting on frank wilson's lap who was playing a fiddle and in, in my living room with the broken arrow band not knowing what was going on but i knew the feeling was amazing just yes. to be in that circle of people that are playing and have some there's something going on there that gives you that vibe even as Fun. a child <laughs> yeah but even as a child how do you catch on to that and a lot of people that we've talked to and todd included mentioned that you know there was something about it that grabbed you that, that yeah, kept you yeah. leaning towards that although it wasn't the drums that ended up being guitar that feeling stayed the same. And it never Maybe. leaves you. I mean, you can leave, like, you know, we've had a lot of people talk. You can leave music sometimes for a little while, but once you have the bug, you're always going to come back to it. Yeah, That's right. And that was well said because, you know, as far as from my vantage point, 
it didn't feel any, it could have been guns and roses in there and it probably would have felt the same just because mm. the energy of the, the room and, yeah. you know, when you're young enough, it doesn't matter anymore. It's just the energy of the music. And it felt like that. It felt like the, the most famous band that it's ever been is in the, in your living room and mm-hmm. playing. And that's all, you know, at the moment. Yeah. You know? yeah well, no doubt. So you're in middle school and have a Dixon guitar. A $65 Dixon guitar. Yeah. You know what? The problem is you could probably get that. You could have probably bargained it down too, but you're a kid. You probably could have gotten like a strap for 65 bucks from a pawn store. We didn't know any better when we were kids. <laughs> that's right, man. Yeah. That's exactly right. You just see it and you're just like, okay, that's the way that it is. This is the price. It's stuck. So were you, were you like addicted from the start? Did you practice all the time? How did, they, how did you develop? I was, man. I probably practiced um, at least six hours a day. Um, mm, yeah. Every every single day. And that, that's I'm just funny how synchronicity is and how fate would have it. Um, because really, um, I was, you know, I just turned 14 when I really started playing. So when I start, we started recording that Days of the New Record. I'd only been playing for three and a half years. <laughs> That's crazy. I I had spent, I had obsessed so much. And I'm not kidding when I said at least six hours a day. I literally played about six hours a day. And so I think that that, if I hadn't done that, I probably would have never ended up this, you know, that is part of my story. You know, I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been prepared, but uh, I had no idea what was coming to me. I just practiced that much because I was on a mission, you know? Mm -hmm. And you were trying to cram in 10,000 hours real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I was. (laughs) I was. And, you know, back in those days, you know, there. now I sound like a definitely uh, the old guy, but it's true. Back in the old days. I know. There was no YouTube. There was no internet. You couldn't just, like, figure out how to play Inner Sandman because you could look it up on a tutorial. There was none of that, you know? You just, like listen to something and you figured it out or you hope that you ran into somebody who knew how to play it Mm. outside of that. Or maybe there was an old VHS of something that you found somewhere that it, you know, had footage of them playing. But, uh, boy, I, I, I almost feel like now that there are so many, and this, this may be happening in sports as well. Um, but I feel like that there are so many incredible, guitar players, at least mm. technically, yeah, uh, that are so far advanced on average than used to be. And I would attribute that to the wealth of knowledge that's easily accessible now compared to the way it used to be. Because that's what I always wished. It, I, I, if I had in front of me a visual, there were so many things um, like the technical stuff about guitar playing, uh, sweet picking and different, different picking styles. If I had to like, you know, ask a lot of questions and hope that somebody knew a little bit of something about that. Uh, and that those people were usually few and far between. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, it's just a YouTube video away for anybody that wants to learn how to do anything on guitar. And that go, that applies to most things, you know, anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I think it's really elevated the uh, the game out there, so to speak, because of that, which is cool. Yeah, and you know it's it's even more immersive than that because like definitely with the YouTube, but with social media, you know you have access to people that you would have never had access when we were kids. You know, I, I, I'm thinking off the top of my head because I've been listening to so much bluegrass lately. You know, I went down a Tony Rice rabbit hole, and then you get all these these people that learn from him, and then well, Jake Workman who won. International Blue, Bluegrass Guitar Player of the Year. Last year, he's given tutorials and lessons and showing licks and, you know, putting out challenges for his people that we it, we never had that. So, I mean, you're, they're, they're slowing it down. And, and the person that's writing these things is breaking it down for, you know, me and anybody else that wants to watch it. But not only to have the YouTube, but to actually have the lesson coming from the you know, the people that are writing those licks and those things like that, that, that expansion of knowledge for kids that are, you know, 13, 14, that were our age when we started playing, their crash course is, is huge compared comparatively. But it's also good to see that a lot of those kids that do fall in love, take, take advantage of that. 
That's so true. I mean, I would, I had the blessing of um, having, my mother was very supportive of me. And there was a, a, a guitar summer camp mm-hmm. that I remember going to. It was like, I think between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. Uh, and it was up in Connecticut. And it was kind of like the real life version of what you were just talking about, how, you know, the actual person is there giving tutorials and doing oh, things yeah. and they would gather, uh, these people, uh, you know, like the Steve Vai and people like that. And they, they <laughs> would, um, teach class basically for a week and, uh, and you would go there and basically be able to pick their brains and then also just be in this group setting where you could learn from your, uh, from the other, other people who were there. That was you know, one week of my life that had a huge impact. But uh, yes, having the access to these people now virtually all the time at any point is just incredible. Man, that camp sounds so much better than like 4-H. No offense offense to 4-H. Yeah, especially when the weather's bad, man. 4-H could go down, go south real quick. So when you had that, uh, those camp sessions, did you all have like, were were you able to have one-on-one question-answer sessions with some of those uh, musicians? Yeah, yeah, and oh, they wow. would specifically brought in some uh, some teachers that were from Berkeley School of Music. Mm, oh yeah, and uh, it it was just incredible. You know, everybody there, it felt like we're just on another level. You know, and so I just became a sponge and just you know everything I wanted to know, all these questions I had, I just constantly asked. And and it was one of the actually one of the coolest experiences I had from that week was. Uh, you would kind of like a college dorm room situation. You would room up with somebody and uh, I'll never forget. uh, I was roomed with, uh, I was paired up with this uh, kid named Kagi. He was from Japan. And um, Hmm. to have that experience where I got to, you know, being, at least in my experience, being from Louisville, Kentucky, I, I hadn't got out and seen too much of the world yet at that point. So to all of a sudden be paired up with this kid from the other side of the world and, um, be able to just, like I said, absorb his culture and like his guitar style and all the, his musical influences, all that. It it was just a a very impressionable thing in my life that I'm so, so grateful for. How old were you when you went to that camp? I believe it was probably 15, 14, 14, 15. I think it was between like freshman and sophomore year of high school, I believe. It was pretty quickly then. Your your family must have recognized you had some talent, or or at least that desire to practice six hours a day and and, and get better. Absolutely, and I, I'm so thankful to my mom because you know we we didn't come for money or anything, and we we she was just one of those people that would work mul- multiple jobs to try to you know keep us afloat and and make it seem like we weren't poor, you know, and. Uh, mm. So when when I went to this summer camp, that was her, you know, breaking her back and working other jobs and things like that to try to help me fulfill my dreams. Boy, oh boy, I don't, I still don't feel like I've been able to thank her enough, even at this time in life. You know, you just, you just, yeah. I'm so grateful for things like that. Yeah, that's nice. So you go to this this band camp and kind of kind of take us from there to. Uh, to recording the Days of the New record. Uh, were you already uh, jamming or, you know, playing with other, the guys that ended up being in Days of the New before you went to this camp? No, I met them um, during, I guess I was about, I think I had just turned 16 because I do recall I was able to drive to Travis's the first time that I met him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's funny, the first time I met Travis, it was there at Mom's Music. Uh, on uh, Frankfurt Avenue, the oh, one cool. they, mm-hmm. they used to have there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my, got my mom to, to thank for this one. She was involved in this story as well because uh, I had talked her into, you know, I just had my first job and uh, I really wanted a, an amp. I, I didn't have a, you know, all I had were these uh, little kind of handheld practice amps, but I wanted like a real amp, you know, something <laughs> I could crank up and get the neighbors <laughs> pissed off about. <laughs> and uh, so I talked her into uh, co-signing for me to get this guitar amp that I wanted. And I was going to put it on this payment plan. And it required her because being a 16-year-old, I didn't have the credit necessary to make that happen. 
And so we go into mom's music and she's filling out the stuff that she needs to fill out. And I'm sitting down and uh, playing guitar, just kind of jamming out in my own little world there. But I did notice as I was playing, this kid kept walking by me who apparently worked there. He had a mop or a, a dust mop in his hand and kept walking back and forth and back and forth. And uh, finally he stopped and struck up a conversation with me and, you know, asking me if I was in a band and we started talking about our musical influences and stuff like that. And he started telling me about, uh, you know, how he wanted to start this band. He, he played with a couple other guys and they, they were thinking about switching over to make it all acoustic rock, but, you know, still that Alice and Chainsy kind of vibe that, um, I guess at that time you call it that more alternative style, mm-hmm. and uh, but he just he, and he wanted to have he wanted it to be edgy, but he wanted it to be all all acoustic though, and, and it sounded really cool. You know, he definitely piqued my interest, and uh, he walked away. And you know, in my mind at the time, I j- all it was was a conversation. So I, I think I just kind of put it in the back of my mind because he, you know, he could be. Uh, he could be good or he could be terrible. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll never forget one of the most influential things that happened and, and important things that happened is uh, Mark Maxwell, one of the owners of Mom's Music, uh, walks up to me after Travis walked away. And, and I'm sorry, if I didn't set that up right, that was Travis, the singer of, the, uh, the singer of Days of the New. Yeah. That, was, that was the guy with the mop. Right? The <laughs> okay. mop. Yeah. Um, so Mark, the one of the owners of Moms, walks over to me and he says, "Hey man, I just want to let you know that because uh, Travis had handed me his phone number and he said I would." Mark said to me, "I would hold on to that number and uh, consider giving him a ring because he's uh, he's the real deal, man. I think that I think that uh, something good could happen out of that." And I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." And he walks away, and that made an impression on me because yeah. it went it went from just some random person walking up to me in the music store to I respected Mark greatly, mm-hmm. uh, and still do. And um, so, as soon as he said that, that was enough to convince me that all right, I guess I do actually need to call him. And uh, yeah, a couple of days later, I called him and went over to his house, and uh, we began to kind of churn up some of this stuff together, and and. Within a couple of weeks after that, I met Jesse and Matt, and uh, that's when we continued to to work it all up together. And uh, yeah, everything started happening real fast from that point. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember the first time I heard Shelf in the Room. I, mm. I, you know, I'd never heard you know acoustics played like that uh, at that time. Just it's nothing I'd ever really listened to or heard. Yeah, it's uh, very distinct. Played it all the time. Wore it out. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. <laughs> After you guys recorded the uh the the first album and um you know went on, went your separate ways and started Tantric, you you stuck with a lot of the same guys there, correct? Yeah. So it's ba- is myself and the bass player and the drummer, Matt and Jesse. So uh we at that point it was us and then we had a different singer, Hugo, that was involved with that one. So you guys have pretty much, so I guess the real question is with you and and Matt and Jesse, have you guys always kept that relationship from the initial meeting until where we are today with Blitzkrieg or was there a point in time where you guys even went your own separate ways and then it kind of came back to where we are today? Yes and no. Um, We've always kept in touch, uh, but we've, we've had our, our, you know, kind of moments where we we just didn't keep in touch as well, mm-hmm. and we would just kind of reach out every once in a blue moon because our our lives, uh, the trajectory of our lives, kind of went in different directions. I moved down to Nashville. Um, Matt battled some problems where where he ended up dealing with some legal stuff for many years, uh, and then as I tried to carve my path here down in Nashville, I was just kind of tunnel vision on that. And so we would just kind of check in on each other every, every now and again. And, and that's, that was basically what it amounted to. But in 2014, we did reconnect. So first time we had, uh, we got back together to play, you know, in several years at that point, we reconnected for a days of the new reunion. Oh, and, okay. uh, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, Actually. we 
we had actually a lot of shows on the books, but unfortunately the wheels fell off of that tour pretty quick. More of the, more of the same is kind of what it was before. Um, so it just didn't, didn't work out. I think we got through maybe 15 ish shows out of, I think 45 or so that were on the books. And, uh, so it, it just kind of, you know, flamed out and that was that. And fast forward several more years and, uh, yeah, when when I brought Donald into the equation, and uh, we we both thought, and Donald is the uh, the singer for Bliss Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we thought, hey man, let's let's reach back out to those guys and see if we just want to make this the whole thing again. You know, maybe lightning will strike three times. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, how did that connection with Donald happen? It was totally incredible. You know, I'm I'm a huge believer in synchronicity. I think that there's no such thing as coincidence. And, um, I became familiar with Donald and his work back around the recording of the third tantric record that never got released. So that would have been about 2005 ish. And his band at the time, it was called submersed had their first single on the radio. And at that time it was getting played a lot on satellite radio. And I heard it for the first time then. And I recall listening to that satellite radio on my way to and from the studio, uh, during that recording process and fall just as soon as that song came on the first time I ever heard it, it's just a, I can't really describe it other than I felt a connection with specifically with his voice to where it spurred this whole line of thinking in me immediately where like I started envisioning us writing together hmm. and wondering how I could kind of manifest that, so to speak, like, like how, how can we get together? How, like the, I, I believe that we could make some amazing music together. I, I always felt that connection with his music and his voice. Time went by and there was a roller coaster ride that was kind of the dissolve of tantric, so to speak. And, and then many more years after that. And, Quite honestly, it, all that stuff went to kind of the back of my mind, and I, I didn't really think or listen to uh, think about or listen to his band for uh, many years. And um, when I got down to Nashville, I had this this blessing of getting connected with uh, there's a, a country singer, Dirks Bentley. Oh yeah, I've been working on his road crew for many years now. Out on the road, uh, you know, it's very much the normal rock lifestyle, you know, you get in a tour bus and you you go to the next city and uh, get as much sleep as you can in between and just a lot of busyness. Well, this, this one particular night, uh, I crawl on my bunk to try to get a few hours of sleep and I push play on my playlist to put my earbuds in, try, try to tune out a little bit. And that song, Hollow, comes on from uh, Donald's first band, Submersed. And as soon as it came on, I mean, I was wide-eyed all of a sudden. I was like, oh, forgot. You know, this is like three in the morning, you know, driving down <laughs> some random highway in the middle of America. And uh, I just, I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh, I forgot all about these guys. And I, I started, you know, thinking and wonder what what he's doing these days. And I, I go down the Google uh, rabbit hole of trying to figure out what's been up and I discover another band he played in i empire not long after that band and uh then i see that there's been a a little bit of seemingly a little bit of a lull in the action where it seems like the the previous couple years leading up to that google search there just wasn't a a lot going on and uh come to find out so i i get stalker like i find his name (laughs) in uh the instagram i find this instagram page i could come to find out that his uh, a buddy of his talked him into creating because he's kind of like me. I'm kind of uh, not very social media savant ish. Um, I, I kind of just stay to myself for the most part, <laughs> but uh, he, he's the same way. And he had a friend talk him into starting this Instagram page. Literally, I think he said two or three days before I did that search for him on Instagram. And I find him on there. I shoot him this message. And this is still, you know, three in the morning. And I'm, I'm like, hey, man, I'm a big fan of your music. Would love to get to get together and write sometime. He responds within a few minutes. And he's like, man, I'm a big fan of yours. I would love to. We definitely got to do that. 
<laughs> so I was like, dude, that's awesome. I hit him back. I'm like, where are you out of these days? And he's like, I'm out of Dallas. And I'm like, Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. And my wheels are turning. And I look at my schedule and the bus that I'm on at that moment in time is driving to Dallas. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Wow. Yeah. It, it was incredible. So I hit him right back. I'm like, dude, I don't know if you like country music or not. I'm working for Dirks Bentley. Like you're more than welcome to come out and we can meet, you know, and just hang out for a little bit. I, you know, I'll be busy, but enjoy the show and um, we can at least say hello. And, uh, and he did him and a buddy came out to the show. We met for the first time and, and that was it from there, man. We, uh, you know, continue to show, um, give each other ideas back and forth through uh, messages and stuff. And uh, it was basically the pandemic and the shutdown of the world in the beginning of last year that spurred this whole thing into action, to be honest with you. Because of the busyness of all of our lives, I don't think that any of this would have happened had the world not shut down. So this actually, the, the pandemic allowed you the time to make this record. Yeah, it absolutely did. I, I don't see any other way that it would have happened unless it was strung out over a much longer period of time, which may not have had it feel so organic. So this, it, it, it for us, there was a huge blessing that came out of all of the unfortunate circumstance. So what in the world... Did that uh, you guys meet in Dallas? So, when, what is the date of the uh, meeting in Dallas? Is this in 2019? When was that? Uh, yeah, I think it was early 2019 when that happened, I do believe. And did you guys start kind of the writing process immediately, or was it another back of the mind thing? Hey, good to meet you. Let's work together. And then life kind of takes over from there. Relatively. Immediately. I mean, it wasn't like the next day I was shooting stuff over, but it was within, you know, the first month of our meeting, I'd say. And, and I started shooting them ideas at that point. Were you all starting from scratch with content or was there anything there? Did you guys have songs you brought to the table or how did that work? Yeah, it the way that it came about in the beginning was I would basically just have uh, guitar riffs or guitar riffs with vocal melody ideas. And then I would just kind of, uh, in in voice memos, I would just shoot him over little 20, 30 second clips, maybe sometimes longer if there was more to it, and just kind of kept feeding him stuff uh, that I felt was, was you know, worth the time to sit and, and spend time with. So that that's pretty much how it all started. A lot of voice memos and... And then him humming, you know, melodies back and me shooting stuff back. So it, it started, you know, in a real simplistic manner. Wow. Uh, and does, Donald, does he uh, play an instrument at all or does he just sing? Not that just singing is a bad thing, but does he play an instrument? He does. Uh, he plays guitar. He's a, he's a formidable guitar player. He just, he didn't play on the record. Um, I ended up doing all, you know, all the guitar stuff, but mm -hmm. I, I could totally see us utilizing uh, his skills live because he, I mean, he can absolutely hold hold it down on the guitar front. Yeah, I just imagine, you know, it's probably a better process if he on the other end can, you know, strum back a little something and give Use you a little bit compose. more. Yeah, something underneath it. Yeah. Um, was it mostly that format between you and, and, and uh, Donald hammering out these songs or did you take it back to Matt and Jesse to try to work out any of the other parts or how did that work out? So for a while, it was just him and I. And in the beginning, there wasn't even a mention of uh, bringing those guys into the fold uh -huh. um, or, or asking them rather if they wanted to come into the fold because my vision hadn't even expanded to that, to be honest with you. At that, at that point, it was just simply, hey, let's write some music. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I, I, yeah. I didn't even have the big picture. And... um before like the pandemic started, but before all that happened, uh, there were, I think probably the two months leading into that, that's when the conversation started where like it became the more, some of these ideas started to kind of mold themselves into, you know, songs. Um, 
it, it became apparent to me that, wow, this is going to be a lot easier if we have like a band, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I don't, you know, because I didn't want to have to, like, it was so good. And I, I knew that with both of our musical pedigree, like I didn't want to have like programmed drums and, you know, me to do the bass. Like I wanted it to be real, you know, and like a band playing mm-hmm. the music. And so, yeah, I, as the realization that, man, this needs to be like a full on band took shape, that's when, uh, it became natural to, all right, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should just ask Jesse and Matt. And I ran it by Donald. I was like, Hey man, what do you think about me uh, asking those guys that they want to come into the fold? And, mm-hmm. I was, and I was up front with them. I was like, you know, I haven't, you know, talked to them in a while about playing together. So I don't know, you know, where they are in their lives, if they're even interested, but are you, and I asked him, are, are you interested in, in me doing that? And he's like, dude, let's do it. Let's, let's see if they're interested. And, uh, so yeah, so when I approached them, it all kind of came together. They they were interested in it. And then within a month or two at following, after we all four started kind of pitching ideas around, then that's when the pandemic all hit. And we were like, okay, let's, you know, instead of sitting around and wallowing and how jacked up this all is, let's uh, make the most of it and let's get together and let's start turning this into something real here. It kind of seems... Uh... <laughs> Like the pandemic kind of ironically made Blitzkrieg a priority because I know that everybody was was doing a million other things, how we all do it at this point in life. But, you know, Jesse's playing in the Crashers. You've got everybody doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So you almost needed a shutdown or some type of just pause on life for this to to play out the way it played out, which, you know, fortunate, it's fortunate for people that, Get to hear it. <laughs> Speaking of getting to hear, let's listen to a Bliss Creek song. Well, let's ask this question. Okay. We're going to listen to Parasitic, correct? Yeah, I got All that right. ready to go. So Parasitic, I would imagine, came out of the pandemic. That's that's right. Tell us about Parasitic. Well, Donald, who's the singer, he wrote the bulk of the lyrics in this one, but th- this one uh, really was about you know, parasitic was kind of an, an an easy topic to behold because of, like you said, because of uh, everything that was going on. But it was really geared around parasitic people and people who mm-hmm. have a negative impact and a negative influence in your life and uh, have only brought you down or led you in a direction that's unhealthy for you. And um, it's really about learning how to rid yourself of those kind of negative influences and get those people out. All right. Perfect. Here it is, parasitic. You're parasitic and you're always pulling. You're parasitic and you're bound to bleed me dry. You're parasitic and you've always wondered why. thing that I was listening to that and saw uh, it, it just everything about 2020 and then the writing style and the, it, it fits so perfect part of the reason that I asked about the the band writing together and what the writing process was is because man the one thing I notice uh, about what Bliss Creek does is the starts and stops the the hits the builds there's so much dynamics in the actual music itself and and the way you guys play part of that was the questioning about when did you and donald really incorporate 
Matt and Jesse into building those songs? Was it when they were kind of finished? How, how did that work? Because it is so impressive when when you have that much ability to do those things and create styles that take you with the music and the lyrics at the same time. Oh, well, first off, thank you for the the kind words. Mm -hmm. And Jesse was really in the fold uh, from the get-go on it all. Outside of Donald and I exchanging ideas in the beginning, um, in the spirit of trying to keep everything cohesive and doing everything together, we kind of put everything on pause when it came to ideas progressing uh, purposely so that we would get in a room together and the whole thing would come together from all of our minds being together in a room. Um, and so that's what we did. So our, our I'll never forget our the first writing session that we had, um, you know, like I said, I had some some things to to bring to the table, but as soon as we all sat down, it was Jesse, Donald, and myself the first weekend. I mean, the songs just started flowing out like nothing I've ever experienced before. It mm. was an, an absolute. I, I always describe it as ch it felt like we were channeling something because it it, it was almost like. Um, you know, squeezing a lemon and the juice just comes out. It's like we we get together and we none of us had to think, overthink, or scratch our heads and say, you know, what should we do next? Like none of that ever happened. There was always between the three of us somebody that says, ooh, ooh, and this, <clears throat> ooh, ooh, and this, and then this, and then all of a sudden a song is done in like no time. It, it was truly, um, man, it was truly... So exciting! Um, in fact, we're getting we're getting together in uh, in two weeks again for another session to begin work on whatever might be next down the road for us. So I'm really <laughs> excited to see what comes out of it, man, because it's it's a great feeling getting together with those guys. How about the name Blitzkrieg? How, how did that come about? I've got Jesse to thank for that. He uh, so we were on this this name mission, which man, I'm terrible at trying to come up with band names. Uh, <laughs> like it'll be a Back to the Future reference or something if it comes out of me. <laughs> so the, Mc, the Marty and the McFlies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that doesn't have quite the ring to it, I don't think. But like that's <laughs> hey, man, I, I'd be down for it if it was up to up to me. Um, Definitely not cool <laughs> or maybe it's so um, nerdy it's cool yeah yeah man i mean hey there'd be people like myself that think it's freaking awesome so yeah. I'm, I'm down with that <laughs> um we have always in our heads like known that within our i guess i'll call it our mission our musical mission uh we have embodied i think this whole idea that we want to do music that A, has purpose, but with that purpose, we feel like music, we, we, we want, we know we have responsibility to the world to provide something that in the end has something uplifting in it, something that can hopefully have a positive impact on people. And so we kind of made that our, our mission to make sure that we stayed, we, we didn't give ourselves many confines or many boundaries, but we did kind of have that objective. So we wanted to try to embody that in the name somehow that like, this is a band that has something to offer, but yet it's something positive to offer. And, but yet we still want to rock out like we always did and all that, you know, the cool Sonic stuff. So how, how do we get that all in a name? And uh, Jesse just kind of had this, you know, idea in his head, like, Hey man, let's just, let's not make it a real word. Let's make up our own word. And uh, the old, uh, German war term from back in the day. I'm not a historian. I had to do a little research to figure it out. But Blitzkrieg, like the old Metallica song, was, uh, I do believe, a term coined from the World War II days about just uh, kind of blitzing your opponent, you know, with with all of the things, the the missiles, the ground game, the everything, all at once and, and uh, kind of overriding them with force. Mm -hmm. So... His idea was, hey, you know, what about if we switch the blitz 
to bliss because the blitz part is the war term. And so what's it, what if we, we switch it to bliss and make it kind of like an audio, like an audible experience, so to speak of bliss, you know, like a, a like a positive war with music, so to speak, a yeah. blissful, blissful mu- musical with melody kind of deal. So that's where it all came about. And I, I think we all bought right into it. Uh, hook, line, and sinker because it just, you know, A, we didn't have to use a back to the future term. And <laughs> <laughs> it just felt right. So, yeah, we rolled with it, man. It, it, you know, it, it, and it keeps people asking, you know, you kind of, everybody wonders. Um, Jesse might have started heck? a new philosophy. It may no be kidding. so, man. <laughs> no kidding. Bliss Creek, man. I'm going to storm you with goodness. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Happiness. But you know, it, it. it's uh, you were when you were talking about just even the naming of it. You talked about like being positive and, and getting to that next step of positivity, or even in the naming of the band and the record itself. One, it's a great listen through. You you can listen through the album from the first song to the last song, which I did a few times. Thank you, no, dude. It's seamless. It, it, there's you kind of are taken on a journey, and and I I'm bad with looking at names of songs and stuff, but I'm doing it now. And it it, it if you talk about Blitzkrieg, changing that from Blitzkrieg to Blitzkrieg, and and making it something positive, when you go down the the names of the song from Inside Me to Parasite to take it back, and then you end up with wherever you go and and remedy and you and when I think of remedy you think of healing and you know you're talking parasitic at the beginning you're talking about remedy at the end I think even the album kind of takes shape of of that itself uh, I don't know if you guys did that on purpose or if you didn't because I don't know if a lot of people write in concept form anymore and I don't know if you guys did but in theory to me, you did anyway. Was that on purpose? That's incredible. And I, I love, man, that you picked that up. And it was not on purpose. Um, it was maybe subliminal. But it was when we had the collection of of songs and we realized when we when we finished the last song, we just we all kind of had this sense like, okay, this album is done. And then we step back and we look. And I think it was Donald, the one that, looks at looked at all the songs and when we were trying to to think about uh, the the album sequence and and the order of the songs when he was just like man you know it's the first time i've taken a step back and look but he mentioned that he said you know this is really more like a concept record that accidentally happened because of the fact that it does it starts out with inside me which is again it's a, it's addressing the battle of good and evil that that bat, that voice inside of our heads that's always trying to get us to screw up and make the wrong choice and uh, and it ends with remedy which is telling it's it's just basically like a, um, a declaration of how to get rid of all that and everything in the middle is the story from point a to point z you know and hmm. um yeah, it was by accident, but it's awesome that you you picked up on that, man. That that's beautiful. You know, I wonder if you if you really went back and looked at the completion date, or if you even knew. I, I never know when a song ends, or you know when it's finalized. But I wonder if you you look back at your old text mex, uh, text messages. What was going on in the world at that day? You know, or what in the month previous to you guys building that song, what was going on? What was the energy in the world and in between those messages that led to? Because I I bet my theory, again, would be that if you followed the date completions of that song, it was probably directly related to just in generally what the heck the world was, what was going on in the world. Yeah, they they were all by and large completed and written during the the pandemic. Like I said, I, I had some some ideas that we purposely kind of put the brakes on pre writing sessions. But yeah, all of the heavy lifting of the writing all happened during the pandemic during uh, the early portion of 2020. And um, also, you know, Donald got a, a wonderful opportunity to express. And, and, and he talks about this openly, you know, he deals with certain uh, mental illness to where he 
is constantly going through a daily battle, kind of overcoming that. Uh, so it was a great opportunity for him to kind of be, uh, self, you know, put himself through some self therapy, so to speak, as, as he oh, continued yeah. to get these lyrics out on, on pen and pad. Mm. Writing number one's therapeutic, but going through that and then having any type of issues, that is the way to get it out. The more honest you can be, the more open you are about it. I think the more people take you in and, and prop you up for being able to express that type of stuff. And people were definitely feeling and relating to the music. And you, you guys, so, so your music hits the streaming platforms. And I mean, what were you guys thinking when, when you just blew up iTunes? <laughs> oh man, that took us, honestly, we were completely shocked. I hadn't go, gone as far as to even visualize anything like that happening. That was just a complete shock to us and a, and a blessing. You guys hit top five, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it ended up charting out at number four. So that, and it, you know, it was a it was a short lived, glory filled moment, but it was awesome. And uh, man, it just really, we just all looked at each other. Well, through our Marco Polos and our Zoom calls, anyway, and said <laughs> to each other, "Man, what a blessing this is!" Because uh, I don't think any of us could have predicted that for sure. You know, because we we that's not why we got in it. You know, we're we're doing this because because of our love of music and our desire to uh, to put out something uh, positively impactful, you know? And, and plus, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I think sonically, um, you know, I, I've always had an affliction for this style of music that was really big uh, when we were cutting our teeth in Days of the New, you know, that the, the, the early Stone Temple Pilots, the Pearl Jam, the Alice in Chains, the Soundgardens, all of those guys. And uh, I, I, I miss a lot of that. That's why even during the recording process, I made sure that we approach things in a way that we utilize even all of this, the, uh, the approach of the recording in a way that we would have maybe 20 plus years ago, keeping everything analog and not mm. using any auto tune and just doing everything like legit, you know? So there's having just that, not, not, you know, going through and correcting every single note timing wise and just like leaving things like you would do on tape. And I, cause I feel like that little bit of organic sloppiness is actually what makes you feel like you're in the room with the band playing, yeah. you know? So, uh, so that we were very purposeful when it came to that. Well, i tell you what, man, it's funny that you mentioned that because, um, prior to, all the technical difficulties before you uh, started getting on. <laughs> I, when I walked in, I, I told Brad, I said, man, the thing that, that I feel when I listen to this is there is a, a feeling of throwback, but a fresh take on what there was going on around Louisville and, and in the rock scene uh, in that time period, because it is not that, but it is something newer and different. And the, he looked at me, he was like, what? No, what? And then he, then we played uh, parasitic. parasitic and yeah. he went, Oh yeah, yeah. 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 But it had to be drawn to his attention for him to even think about that. But for me, it was, I, I just felt it because I, I've, I was immersed in the scene even then with the Louisville music scene because I just, you know, was drawn in immediately. So that was that was the interesting point of you bringing that up to me that that's what it felt. It had that feel, but it was just different. It wasn't the same thing. How did you get to the point where you knew what you wanted with that feel, but you didn't want that same thing? You know, and thank you for your kind word. And I, I love that you picked up on that. Um, I think the main thing was not overthinking. Uh, I think like I had an objective and the objective sonically was to keep it organic. Like I said, use hardware, like physical hardware. I use as, as few computer plugins as possible uh, for those who aren't really privy to the music uh, recording world on computers, you know, that they, they kind of emulate what hardware did or does uh, mm -hmm. with a lot of these plugins so that, you know, it's, you, you kind of almost have any piece of gear that was ever invented that people used to use back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, and now you have it on a, on your computer screen as an emulation, mm -hmm. uh, which to my ear sonically, 
th- that's like one of the great debates, you know, in, in the recording world is like, do they sound as good? Do they not sound as good? Yeah. And people will argue till their face is blue over which is better. Uh, but to my ear, uh, I just, I love, there's something about um, the sound of your music passing through trans transformers and, and tubes. capacitors and tubes. You can't replace the sound of a tube band. <laughs> no. Care. I'm 100% on board. <laughs> no, yeah, you can't, man. And it's something that you can't, you, you know, yeah, you can't emulate how that particular tube or, you know, transformer or whatever is going to mm-hmm. react to your particular voice or your particular guitar tone or your whatever. And so... It goes back to what you were talking about with uh, your actual performance, too. You don't want it to be so perfect, and I think that's a lot. You know, you talk about tubes. I mean, even the same brand tubes, this one's going to be different from that one, and there's going to be slight imperfections that give it the sound. You know, oh, absolutely. For. I mean, you know, you think about go go back to some of the classic like Zeppelin albums and stuff like that. It was absolutely not about perfection and every note is almost like a computer programmed it. It was not like that at all. You know, there mm-hmm. are plenty of times that the tempo is swaying or the the guitar just hit that downbeat just barely off or whatever. But like, that's what to me really makes you feel like you're like, man, I can, I feel like I'm there with the band, you know? And it's like that moment that you take the the human element out of it and you you grab your mouse and you're looking at your computer screen and you pull this chord over here or this drum hit over here and line it up so it's exactly computer perfect. Well, all of a sudden that's not your performance anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I'm just not, I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, it, I guess I also, from the days of the new days into even our, our Tantric albums, we did, we, we cut everything on tape. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. the, the, the tantric stuff, we did a hybrid version of it. Uh, uh, bass and drums went all tape. And then we did record um, vocals and guitars uh, through Pro Tools, which is the computer software. Uh, but the days of the new stuff was 100% tape. Wow. Um, and so it's just, man, there's just a sound, just a sound. And I, I'm just uh, having a... In, an affliction for it. It's just, I love it. Man, an audio, an audio file knows the difference. Somebody that knows audio knows the difference. We were talking yeah. to uh, Brett Eugene Ralph a couple weeks ago and he was talking about the fidelity of records and just, they're better. They're, there's a there's a difference. If you can understand the difference between what it should sound like in a studio. Something about it, the surface noise. Surface Dust noise. Look, look at you, man. Get out of town. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I've got, before we get out of here, man, I have to, the, the one question, you all haven't played a gig together. We have not. I don't know if we're any good or not. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm sitting here thinking about, well, hell, you talked about already starting the writing process on, in a couple of weeks for the second record. I'm like, this is going to be the first band in history to have two studio albums with no live performances. <laughs> two, records, two records, one tour. Yeah. Oh, man, I know it, right? Oh, gosh. Well, I, hopefully we can live up to it, but... Um, I think that's part of the beauty in our process too, is that we, you know, we didn't go overboard with adding this and adding that. So we should be able to, uh, to hopefully live up to the sound that, that we create when we're in this room together, at least. But you know what, what's funny. And, and I had to get a little bit off topic, but I, I and I know you're kind of wrapping up here, but I just want to say, cause I've, um, not, I don't really know too much about the Beatles. I've, I've never really been a, a Beatles guy myself growing up. And so don't bite my head off if you're a huge Beatles fan. I'm sorry. You're good, um, man. I, I don't, I don't not like them. It's just, I've it's just never really kind of resonated too much with me. But somebody told me not long ago that uh, they basically barely ever toured. They didn't play too much. They were, uh, they, they put out all, all that music but yet hardly Correct. ever played, which blew my mind because f- from somebody who didn't know uh, much about them and they were before, you know, our time anyway, um, it just, I would have thought that they just toured the world 10 times over. And well, uh, just I, I, I can actually, I can actually tell you why that was. Please do. There were no PA systems. So they would play and they couldn't hear anything and nobody could hear them. So they eventually... Because all the screaming girls. Too, many scr- too much screaming. It was louder <laughs> than their PA until there was gigantic PA systems where 
everything was mic'd and 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 broadcast on this huge stage. They just they didn't have it, so they they ended up retiring from. Um, I think it was after like the second or third record because of that. They they couldn't hear on stage. They couldn't. Nobody could hear them. All they could hear was screaming. Wow. So they said, "Screw that's it." Fascinating. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, I can totally see that. I mean, in that's the nuts. clips that do exist, that's what you hear. It's it's yeah. girls screaming their heads off, and that's basically almost all you hear. Yeah. It's what you got to look forward to, Todd. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, hopefully we haven't passed our prime, but we'll see about that. That's what in-ear monitors are for, man. They didn't have the luxury of technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Todd, so our listeners that, that want to follow you guys a little closer and stream your music, uh, where do they go to do all that? Yes, the... Uh, easiest way that I'll guide people is through our website because our website uh, will take you anywhere you want to go from the Facebook to the Instagram to any of the links to the streaming services or if you like to purchase music. So it's all there. So if you were to go to blisskriegmusic.com, and again, that's a play on words. So it's a, it's a word that doesn't exist. I'll spill it out. B-L-I-S-S-K-R-I-E-G music.com. My my last question is, where do you see Bliss Creek going? I mean, we got 2021. It seems that vaccinations are becoming a commonplace. They're getting, I think they had 2.5 million of them done yesterday, which is awesome. Uh, things are starting to open back up. You've got places that, you know, Texas is open. I think that's where uh, Donald is, right? That's from. correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's he's outside of Dallas. So, and you know, they're dude, they're full throttle. You can go right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so, what what do you envision for you and the guys moving forward in twenty twenty one? That's a layered question. So, the in the grand scheme of things, I envision. I've I told the guys from the beginning. Uh, you know, I feel like with with in anything you do where you are have a vision for success, you have to just skies like like reach for the stars right so mm -hmm. I, I told them in the very beginning i said guys i want to win a grammy i want to get out there and reach more people through touring than we've ever reached uh in, in our in any of our careers combined how to get from point a to point b you know that's another thing our our lives right now our trajectories uh keeping food in the pantries and all that stuff we're all you know got we all got our blue collar jobs and, and to keep keep the lights on and all that. And so oh, yeah. it's going to require uh, some more of this synchronicity and uh, the and the stars lining up, so to speak, for the right things to fall into place to facilitate that. But I have all the faith in the world that whatever needs to happen, whatever's going to get us from point A to point B is going to happen. Um, I just I couldn't dare even tell you what vehicle that's going to be and how that's going to happen. Cause I couldn't have told you that this was going to happen. Even with the creation process, it happened mm. in such a manner. So uh, I, I think, uh, and, and believe in my heart that it's going to be equally uh, as incredible from this point on. Oh yeah, man. Well, we've talked forever about having a top hill, um, podcast music festival. You're all's first gig there, man. That would be amazing. The question is, will we, will we play somewhere with you guys? Yes, we will play somewhere for you guys. Man, oh, you, guys, you, guys might, you guys might shut down the festival, man. Yes. <laughs> That's royalty around here. Well, Todd, man, thanks for spending an hour talking with us, and we're going to go out with Inside Me. You want to set that song up for us? I love it. Yes, sir. So uh, it basically sets the whole record up because it expresses that inner battle of you know, that voice inside of us that makes us always, not always, but it, it's always there chirping at us, trying to get us to do the wrong thing and make the wrong decision that gets us in trouble. And uh, <laughs> you got to fight it off. And uh, so that's what inside of me is all about, that fight. All right. Well, thanks again, Todd, man. Thanks for spending the hour with us. Thank you, Todd. Gentlemen, it's my pleasure. And thanks for enduring my painful uh, microphone experience of trying to get <laughs> going in the beginning. <laughs> Dude, All thanks right. for sticking with it. Yeah. <laughs> Here you. it is. Inside me, Bliss Creek. to lose
inside